Welcome to Optimal Self, the art of becoming the best version of you. Join us as we talk with extraordinary people who are on the journey to living to their optimal self. We dive deep into their minds to learn what they do on a daily basis to create optimal results. They share their tools and insights so you can implement them into your own life to become the best version of you. Here's your host, Jeremy Herriter. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Optimal Self Conversations. These are simple conversations where we talk to incredible people and who through adversity, grit, and persistence are forging the path of being the best version of themselves. And they join us to give you tools to do the same. Today, we are honored, and I mean honored, and I'm just going to go with it to have the feelings guy on <laughs> today's conversation. Archie is somebody who champions mental health awareness worldwide. He challenges people to rethink complicated and emotional topics like depression, suicide, alcohol, drug addiction. And he is really, really, I mean, personally sharing his story to the world and really opening up a whole new conversation. And I am super honored for him to be with us today, man. So Archie, welcome to the show. How are you, buddy? Thanks, brother. I'm I'm glad to be here. I'm excited for this one. This is going to be a yeah. good conversation. <laughs> so, Archie, I mean, it's a quick little intro. So, tell us, tell uh, the audience, like, let them get to know you. Who is Archie? Where do you come from? What exactly has put you on this path and led you where you are today? Well, that was a lot. Okay, mm. let me try to give you the Reader's Digest version, or we will be here until <laughs> next year. Because <laughs> um, literally, we could have like several mini series with that question. So I grew up in the South and um, LPS, I'm gay. That's really important for this conversation. I am super gay. Uh, but when I grew up in the deep South, and I mean like small town farm, Alabama, in I was born in 1976. So like, I know I might not look that old, but I've been around for like a hot minute. And I grew up very religious. Um, so Southern Baptist. So when you grow up in the early 70s, 80s, gay, male in the South, going to church. Um, those things don't go together. So, you know, people always ask me, when did you know you were gay? And I was like, well, I mean, I don't know. I don't, it's like, when did you know you had red hair? I mean, it's the same thing. You know, like I was talking to someone yesterday and they said, you can always tell who the gay kids are. And I was like, yes, you can. Yes, you can. So, you know, I, I threw myself into religion because religion told me that I was going to go to hell and that was a problem. So like, how can we fix this? And so, you know, I know that you were very sporty. I was not very sporty. And I tried really hard because that's what you do in the South. Everybody plays baseball and football. And since I know you're a baseball player, dude, they put me out in right field at like all times. And nobody ever hits the ball to right field when you're like at, you know, young age, like it's the safe place. So dude, I had my glove off. I was like playing with flowers on the ground and like somebody hit a ball and people are like, get the ball. And I'm like, what ball? Like what's going on? This never happens. That was my last, I was done with baseball after that. Uh, but so, you know, I mean, I definitely had a, a challenging uh, high school, middle school, all this stuff career because I just didn't fit in. You know, I was just like kid that wanted to like sing and dance and there was no glee back in 1990. Like that was, it wasn't cool. So after college, I went to a private Southern Baptist institution because I was really trying to get the gay to go away. And then I moved to New York to be a performer. That's what I, that was my trades, song and dance. And then I discovered drugs and drugs made everything better. All the hurt I had inside, drugs made it better. But eventually, the thing that was my comforter became my captor, and I overdosed more times than I can count in words. I woke up in ICU with a tube down my throat, and then I eventually tried to take my own life. So the spiral for me happened fast, and uh, you know, luckily, one day at a time, with a lot of help and support, I was able to put my life back together and be a person now whose purpose in life is to give back and not have anyone else be sitting on a bathroom floor wanting to take their life. Wow, that's, first of all, thank you for being you. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for being open and honest with that. So when you look back, because you're so articulate and you tell that <laughs> almost, I mean, it's probably, you probably told it a few times, but <laughs> but I can also, it, it, but I still feel when you say those words, right? Cause you know, we all have those, we all have those instances, you know, and 
I don't think I've ever shared this with our audience is, you know, I, I grew up Catholic as well. And a few different things within there I won't go into because I, I want to get more to your story. But I remember I came home and actually when I was, I was 16, a kid, a, one of my friends, right, came out as gay. And I too, I'm born in the early 70s. So <laughs> it wasn't cool. No. And I remember the backlash and at being a young boy and hearing that and my Nana was an, I mean, she is a devout Catholic. I mean, they're Italian, like from, you know, the old country and, and all that. <laughs> and it was really interesting. And I remember sitting down and having a conversation with my mom because they were, you know, again, it was the heaven and hell thing. Right. And I said, wait a second. I mean, I know this kid, he's my friend. I've grown up with, it. he's probably, I mean, still, like one of the, I mean, salt of the earth, one of the greatest human beings you could ever imagine. And I remember crying and I was telling my mom and I said, I said, listen, mom, if because he's gay and likes other boys, right? And that's frowned upon in heaven. I said, mom, and I remember crying, telling her, I don't want to go. Because if a guy like that doesn't get in and somebody who killed somebody or molested a child can say sorry and they get in, then I don't want any part. Cause I didn't understand, right? Yeah. We all don't understand. We're young, young, impressionable kids. And so when you tell that story, when you talk about your upbringing and, and the things that you were dealing with, oh my, I, I got chills all over my body right now, like literally down my spine is like, first of all, I wish, I wish right now this wasn't virtual and we were in person <laughs> so that I could literally hug you and no, say, because I can barely, I'm barely, I'm trying not to cry right now. So no, I would say, cry. thank you, man. I just wish, I just want to say thank you because the man you are and the way you tell that story and now what you're doing, man, is, is everything I believe in for optimal self is literally like whoever, whatever, doesn't matter, male, female, gay, straight, black, white, whatever. This building a platform to say, look, no, 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 no. You can be the best version of you. Let's find him or her and let's, let's, let's let them out. And here you are, man, like a true, honest, like I feel it like in my soul, Archie, man. So thank you. So, but let's put some context even deeper around that for the listener is, you know, going through that, I mean, addiction. Wow. How many, by the way, and you please speak to this because I believe everybody's addicted to something like everyone, like everyone walking, you're either addicted to being lazy. You're addicted to sugar. You're addicted to heroin. You're addicted. Like everybody's addicted to something. So I think your version, how you came out of it is, I think it can help people. So, so talk a little bit more to that. About the exit. Yeah. How did you, how did you get through that? Oh, uh, I think to your point, you have to stop and figure out why the addiction exists. And I think that there is a very large misunderstanding by the, the like we call them normies. Um, so normies means that you can drink alcohol or maybe do some cocaine and be fine. Like you're a normie. Those of us that are not normies, that's not our life. So, yes, there's a I well, I believe in science. Let me just say that. So I, I believe that there's some, you know, so there's some things happening up here that make it a little bit different for me. But I also believe very strongly that drugs aren't the problem. And I mean, I've had hundreds of conversations with addicts and alcoholics, and we all agree. Drugs aren't the problem. They're the symptom of the problem. Mm -hmm. And my problem was that I had been told either directly or inadvertently for my entire life that I wasn't normal. I wasn't enough. I could not experience love. What I felt was wrong. If I chose to listen to these feelings that I could choose, I could choose if I was going to be gay or not, that I was sinning. That's just some, I forgot to ask what this is rated, but that's some BS. You can say whatever you want. Okay. It's, that's it's some rated, bullshit. It's rated Archie. <laughs> <laughs> that's some bullshit. And that is trauma. So my problem was that I bought into the fact that like I was a piece of shit. 
you know, that's if you just boil it right down, that's what it's going to be like. Like, I'm never going to have a real relationship because gay people can't do that. You know, if, if people if people listening, listen, this is the path that worked for me. Everyone has to find their own path. Okay. But, you know, in the program that I went to, there's this thing called the ninth step promises. And it tell it says that you will experience life beyond your wildest dreams. Bro, the life that I'm living right now, it was impossible to dream. I didn't know that, like, that's what living life beyond your wildest dreams mean. It's not like I'm going to have this, like, fancy car and, like, all, like, that's great. I never dreamed growing up in our time period that I would be able to get married to a guy and have a child. Those things were never even possible to be on the table. So the exit was hard because it took me a long time to realize that it's not just about not putting the needle in my arm. It's about what's going on inside and fixing that. Because until I fix that, it didn't matter. To your point, I was just going to find something else to fill it with. I was going to find shopping or I was going to find chocolate or I was going to find sex. I was going to find something else to fill that void with until I finally got okay with that and like learn to deal with that and forgave people for that. It was never going to get better. Mm, damn, that's so well said. You said this and I had to write it down immediately is impossible to dream. And I truly believe, you know, all of us, I believe success is the ability to learn. You can have any success in your life if you're willing to learn, right? When we, when we think we know it all, we stop learning. When we get older, we stop learning. We stop that, that appetite stops. Sure. And that's, that's what starts the downslide of our lives. Mm. And I think this happens to when I, the, the stuff that we deal with optimal self and the people that come in and, and coach and, and talk to is so many times, again, their dreams are squashed at a very young age. And here yep. you are at a very young age for with yep. anything that you thought could have been possible was truly said, oh no, that's impossible actually, mm -hmm. right? That's such an incredible way to see it. And, and I mean, I can see why you are where you are today because you've recognized that. So, and also, but also just to get yeah. that point one step further, please. it's not just that it wasn't impossible. It's that I was choosing to live your dream. I was choosing to live what you said I should be doing. And that is exhausting. It's mm. exhausting to try to be somebody you're not every day to go to campus and be this person that everyone wants you to be and to, to find a girl that you're going to marry and then to keep that persona up and then to meet her parents and like do all the things it, mm. that is, that is emotionally exhausting. Wow. And I look back on this now and realize that this was a blessing for me, even though I don't wish anyone harm at all. But I was in this choir at school and there were two of my really good friends who between my junior and senior year, one of my friends, his father, I mean, her father died by suicide because he came out as gay after he had like two kids and then just couldn't take it anymore. And then the other one got a divorce. No one really knew why, but also everyone knew why. And I remember the moment that I told my you know, would be wife that I was gay. And I, I knew that I had I knew that there were only two options. I knew that I was either going to marry her to use her and then end up cheating on her or I was going to end up blowing my brains out. Like I knew that those were my only options. And for some reason at that moment, I, whatever you believe in, I was given some grace to be like, there's another option. Just be honest. And so I said the words <laughs> and then it was like an avalanche of like, what did I just do? And like, oh, I'm just kidding. I'm just always a jolly. Like, I don't think that's something you totally joke about to the woman you're going to marry. But yeah, it was, it was, a. I don't think I've really ever told that story. Um, mm. It was a bit of a, it was a lot. It was a lot. Okay. So, so here we are at this crossroads, right. Of mm -hmm. being who you truly know you are and making that decision where does the drugs or whatever the addiction was, if it was alcohol or drug, where does that fit into what happens? Was it next? Was it before? Where? How does that fit in? Moments later. Like, I mean, not literally moments, but in a scan of life. Yeah. I mean, I had made friends. So when I was a junior in college, I got cast in my first professional theater experience. And so even before I graduated, I was making connections in New York. I was making connections to the thing I wanted to do. And even in that summer stock experience, they were like, Archie, you're gay. 
And I was like, no, 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 no. I go to this Christian school. I got a girlfriend. Like, I mean, it was like, a, and they were all like, sure thing, buddy. Um, you know, it's one of those situations. So after, you know, I ended the, everything, I pretty much just jumped off the deep end. And if I'm being really honest, all I knew that gay people did was go to clubs. I mean, I didn't, there was no like gay relationships on TV. There was no Ellen. I didn't know that, you know, people had these like, I didn't know, like you just went clubbing. And so I was like, all right, I can do this. I'm a dancer. Let's go dancing. And literally someone said, hey, we're going to do ecstasy tonight. You want to do it? And I was like, yeah, sure. I didn't even think about it. And that experience of feeling complete, feeling whole, feeling loved, feeling normal. I chased that until I finally stopped to take care of the hurt inside. I chased that feeling. I just, I think in so many instances, not even people who, who are gay, right? Like just in, you know, re, I mean, I, I remember there's so many people that I talk to that have that same feeling though, of they're missing something, right? They're chasing that love or they're chasing that what someone, they're living somebody else's life. That's the way you explain it in such a clear way that I'm sure there's people listening right now that are living somebody else's life, whether it's their parents or whether it's, you know, whatever it is. So breaking through that, right. When you finally said, Oh God, I'm, I'm way down this road. Right. And, you know, waking up in places that you probably don't remember and, you know, how did I get here and, and all those moments. So, so take us through, how does that transition happen? How do you start to, to, to reconcile with who you are and truly become the best version of you? Uh, I think there were several steps along the way. I think the first step was realizing that I couldn't do it on my own. You know, when you get to the level of addiction that I was at, you pushed everybody away because either people don't want to see you in that state or they just can't. You know, it's one of those two things. And so I'd push people about as far as I could push them. So it's knowing I, knowing I couldn't do it on my own. Again, I don't know what you believe in, but for me, when things finally began to turn the corner, I started working with this guy who's my sponsor who was a straight man. And I'd never had a relationship with a straight man because I was like, what do you want from me? Like, you don't want to sleep with me. So what possibly is going to come from this relationship? I didn't understand. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand how someone could. I mean, literally, he taught me what love was. He did because he loved me unconditionally just because. Didn't want anything back from me. He just wanted to see me stay alive. So that experience was probably the first real big step to understand and to, and to experience someone loving you, a straight man loving you just because he loved you. I wish that I had one of those stories that like, you know, I was like, I'll just, I'll just stop and then I'll stop. And that's not really what happened. I mean, I bounced and bounced and bounced and bounced. And again, if we talk about being honest, I really didn't start getting truly better until my second rehab. When I finally talked about the fact that I hear voices in my head and not just like we all have like inner, like your inner voice, like, right. Like, well, but like I actually hear voices in my head um, and sometimes, well, not anymore, but like sometimes I talk to them, but I'd already been to a psych ward. So like, I wasn't going to tell you this because if I did, you're going to take me back to the psych ward and I didn't want to go there. So when I finally got honest about that and when I finally got honest about the suicide attempt, then things begin to get better because there's this saying that like, you're only as sick as your secrets. And I was like, but I just don't want to talk about this. Like, I'll talk about everything else. I'll talk about all the other things, all the places that I woke up, all the, I'll talk about all the things. I don't talk about this. And I remember when I told my therapist in rehab, because I was like, I've got to tell you this thing. And so I was like, I hear voices. And she was like, okay. And then we just like moved on. And I was like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> and she was like, oh yeah, it's fine. We'll get some medicine. Well, it'll be fine. And I'm like, I've been like living with this thing for decades and you're like, okay, whatever. Can we just spend like a moment on it? So it was also the way that she received it. Like, eh, whatever, like no big deal. Like, well, you know, we'll fix it. So again, it's about, for me, it was about, I can't do this on my own, trusting somebody else implicitly and getting honest, like truly getting honest, saved my life. So let's expand on that. Cause I think that I know times in my life as well, you know what I mean? And, and the same thing has happened. So what to you is getting honest? What does that mean? So I think there's a difference in being like honest and truthful. Like I'm telling you the truth. Like if you ask me a question and answer it, I'm telling you the truth. But am I telling you the whole truth? That's being honest. And so that was a learned skill for me. I'm sure if my husband is listening right now, he's like, yes, it was. But it was a it was a learned skill to be completely honest. But again, like I didn't trust you. 
So why am I going to share everything with you? Because you're just going to go away. That's what people do in my life. They go away, you know, and that kind of loops back around. I don't know if I mentioned I'm adopted. That kind of loops back around to the adopted piece. And I was, you know, having a child now, I know what happens between zero and two years. Before I had Kate, I really didn't get it. I honestly didn't get it. I was like, oh, yeah, I was two. I don't remember it. You know, whatever. There's a lot that happens between zero and two. And I wasn't with my parents, my family. I was, you know, with an emergency foster placement and then a foster placement. And I'm sure they did wonderful work for me. I'm sure they did, but it's just different. So like, why am I going to be honest with you? Because if I'm honest and you learn all the stuff inside, you're going to go away. So for me, that when I say like being honest, I mean like, like honest, honest, not just answering the question. What's all the questions that aren't being asked that you know that they really mean, but you're like, I don't talk about that. Yeah, that's great. That's the very well said, right? It's not telling the truth. It's telling the whole truth and to ourselves as well. Yeah. That's a really, really big piece is, sure. is actually telling ourselves because we justify everything. So even when you're choosing to go out that night or the ecstasy or, or, yep. or whatever, whatever those things are, we've justified whatever behavior we choose. There's nothing in this world that we don't. Somehow, some way, in our own mind, we've already said it's okay, and we've already gone. We're already going down that road. So that you know, I, t- I always say, I'm like the guy who rub- robs the bank, right? He knows what he's doing. I mean, he knows. I mean, choice, consequence, and all of it, right? When they catch you, you're going to. Ju- and it's it's just part of the game for them. They've already justified why it's okay for them to come in and do this. And so for you, right, for all of us, we've already justified the behavior. Yeah. So now we got to go back to what you just said, telling ourselves the whole truth starts to eliminate that, right? So with optimal self, and I want to get your take on this, is that what I talk about all the time is decision-making, because that's what it comes down to. At some point, you had to make this decision. that, like, yep, I am coming all out. I'm going to let them know who I am, how I am, and I'm moving forward, right? And whether that is, whatever that is for you, whatever that is for the the listener right now is that, and again, it could be any goal. It could be saying, hey, I want to do this. I want to achieve this, right? Is that when you're fully committed, finally, internally, when you say yes to this, and I'm no longer going to, all the other decision-making becomes easy. Because if it's not in alignment with that, if it's not that, then I can say no to it. And it's easier said than done. It's just like you said, it's a learned behavior. I have to learn that. And I have to learn how to say no. I have to learn how to say, no, that's not okay. You know, and so for you, stepping into you now, right? I'm no longer being what everybody else wants me to be. I'm no longer whatever. And now here I am and I'm stepping into me. What was that like for you? And how does that equate to, to what you do today and what you're bringing to the world today? Hmm. That's a great question uh, and a great setup. Well, I mean, I think the research is pretty clear that when a human decides to come out and we're talking about sexuality, you're starting over. It's like I may be, you know, 19, 20 years old. I guess I was 21, maybe 21, 22 the part of me that I was being honest about was a child. Like I was starting over because I had never, that part of me was never allowed to be out ever. So it's like, you look at me and you see this 21 year old, like I'm this infant, like trying to figure this thing out because there was, you know, there was no like playing house and like playing all that stuff like that. None of that happened. None of this, none of the stuff that happens when someone is living their authentic self from the beginning you know, and I, I know that I know that we all like figure things out about ourselves. But, you know, if we're going to follow this analogy along, um, which, again, I think is very research based. I had a lot of catching up to do, but then I added drugs on top of that. So that was a bit of a problem. So this person that was trying to figure himself out then was like constantly stumping himself. Like I'm constantly pushing that person back in. So like I could never figure out who this person was. And that actually is how the feelings guy came about, because once I put some time together, you know, once I stopped, you know, doing the drug and, you know, doing the things and being honest with myself and other people, I found it. And then I had the things, right? Like I, I found the guy who was like, okay, I'm going to marry you and all your baggage, like all of it. Let's get the train of baggage and let's do it. You know, I still wasn't waking up happy. And I was like, what is going on? Like I did all the things like what's happening. 
And I realized that I have this really big personality and I have this really big spirit that wants to help, but it's a lot for people. It's a lot. And so I was trying to like constantly keep it back in. And, you know, I was working in corporate America. Actually, I actually made this video today that's coming out of my Instagram on Sunday about these costumes that we wear. We all wear these costumes. So we go to work and we wear these costumes. And then when you're a CEO, you wear expensive costumes and you wear expensive shoes. And like I made the video in my breathe right strip and my like hair and my pajamas. And my point was, if I showed up to work with your team wearing this, nothing about my expertise, my content and my excellent facilitation skills change. You just see a different costume. And if this costume makes you uncomfortable, why? Why does this make you uncomfortable? I'm just a human being who just woke up. Are you saying that like I get smarter when I put my costume on? No, that's just what we've just like chosen to believe. And so when I finally broke free of all that crap and I was like, I'm not doing this and I'm going to be myself and I'm going to help other people learn about these feelings that they have, then life clicked. And it was like all the shit train like finally caught up and they were like, the shit train is like gone. You can now live on like the thriving train. And that's what I've been doing. And it's been a blessing. Wow. That's, I love it. I love the way that you explained, you know, here you were technically an adult, but yet the person, because you had suppressed who you really were for so long, you're really a child and it was starting over. And I, man, I think about that for all of us. I, you know, I, I tell the story. My birth father was an alcoholic drug addict. My mom got us out of there, never had much of a relationship with him at all. But that little boy, that little five-year-old little boy that needed his dad, that wanted his dad to come pick him up and take him to a baseball game when he said he would and all that, he still lives in me. Like, yeah, he does. And I, I'm so happy he said that. I've never shared this openly, uh, at least not like not in this format before. And years later, I mean, having children and, and all that, like I built up even a more resentment towards him. Like I was more pissed off at him because I couldn't imagine how he wouldn't want to be part of all that. Seeing my little girls grow up and, you know, I was the, you know, I, we did pageants and tumbling and cheerleading, <laughs> and, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I mean, and man, I just, I couldn't imagine not being there. And so I, I actually got more angry at him over the years. And then I finally had to work on myself <laughs> yeah. because it was like, whoa, cause you know, you lose some relationships and things aren't quite, I mean, I'm having mad success in other areas of my life. And again, you're not happy or you're not that fulfillment part doesn't come in. And it was a moment by myself. I went to Arizona for a, uh, for a retreat totally by myself. Nobody even knew I was going, didn't let anybody know I was doing it. And I had a great experience, but actually in the hotel waiting for my flight the next day to come back to, to California is when it actually happened. I was journaling and I was having these feelings and it happened for me, which was the moment that I realized it was okay to love him. I was hard, so not wanting to love him. Never say that. Like I wouldn't even call him by, I wouldn't like, I had this moment by myself in a hotel, pouring all this emotion, right? Mm -hmm. And it happened where I was like, oh, wait, it's okay to say, because I love him and I'm suppressing it, right? He's He is part of my life. He is part of that. And I used to always say, yeah, he's a part of my life. He showed me what I don't want to be, right? And I was like, look at me and not get it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And it was so the opposite. And like this huge weight went off of me that day, sitting there and- you saying it right now about starting over and being that child and learning again, it opened me up to learning how to love because I still had love. My parents, my, I mean, my mom, my grandpa, like I had amazing people in my life. My mom is the most loving human you could ever meet, man. Like Nana, Papa, like, you know, wow. Like I'm so, I've always been grateful. They're such amazing people, but here was this, you know, that missing link, I think maybe, right? Is what you're talking like. And when you said it today, it just dawned on me. And again, I've never shared that story. And it was a moment though, that to say, wait, it's okay to love him. And it opened up so many other things. And then all of these little triggers that triggered me on other people. Like one of the things that I could not stand was my loved one being the drunk, sloppy drunk because I grew up in bars with him being the sloppy drunk. So when I saw that, it angered me. 
Not that they were doing something to anger me, you know, one too many tequilas and they caught up and here you go, right? It was nothing to hurt me, but it hurt me. But it wasn't them. It was because I was holding on to all this other baggage. I was holding on to all these other feelings that I wasn't letting myself actually explore, right? And hearing you, Archie, man, it, it just brings it all to, to light. So you go from that, right? And starting over, which is beautiful said, I hope people heard that and I hope they can allow themselves to be childlike in their own growth. Go back to that child. Who, what is he or she missing? And be childlike in your growth. Understand like, hey, let's heal. Let's heal Jeremy, the five-year-old. And I'm going to say this and please speak to, but I do know, and, and I don't know for you, is he still lives in me. Oh, that yeah. th- it doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. No, Never. it doesn't go away. Yeah. And I know that there are probably people out there like literally rolling their eyes in the back of their head about this inner child stuff. Right, well, then, what, then what's your answer? What'd you figure out? Because let me know, because I, I don't know what else there is. I mean, it's, but it's, it's okay for them. Like, it's okay. I, I mean, it is, it but like, but I'm not I mean, here for agreeable. I'm not no, here for anybody to agree with us. I want to know your story uh, and I'm going to tell mine. Whether you like it or not, that is our truth. And I know that that little boy still lives there. And I'm okay with that. And I, what's helped me is knowing that he's there. Yeah. Knowing that that, and, and now I don't get those same feelings, Arch. Yeah. I don't. Well, I guess that's what I mean is that if if you hear that and it brings up something. So there's a there's a saying that I hold dear that's if it's hysterical, if it's historical, if it's hysterical, it's historical. So if hearing somebody talk about inner child and you're like, ugh, why? Where's that feeling coming from? Like, where did it come from? Because otherwise you'd just be like, oh, okay. But if, you, if you're resistant to it, hmm. What is that feeling about? And that's my world today. It's like, yeah. let's listen to these feelings. So, so that's what I mean. If you're listening to it and you're like, ugh, stop for a second. Where's the ugh coming from? Is it is it because you relate this conversation to a person that you have some disdain for, which is possible? Or is it because there's something going on? You're like, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with that. Okay, maybe not this moment is the time to deal with it, but maybe you should think about it. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. I love it. So now let's get into what you do on a daily basis, right? So now, you know, international speaker all around, you've been to corporations, universities, all kinds of cool stuff. So now we thrust into who you are today and what you're bringing to the world. So what does that look like? How did that, how did that happen? And, <laughs> and again, what, what, yeah. is that, what does that look like for you, yeah. right? Oh, well, that's another story. So I had been in, I've been in higher ed for almost 20 years, um, maybe like 18 years, either as a full-time employee or as a volunteer. And, you know, I'd worked my way up. I worked on a college campus. I worked in my fraternity headquarters. I worked at an umbrella organization. And I was, I was serving as the vice president of health and safety for this umbrella organization that supported all fraternities all over the country. And so I was doing really cool work and I love what I was doing. But I, I'd been speaking on the side for about probably like seven years. It's like a side hustle. People would, you know, call me. And I remember the first time someone called and said, what's your rate? And I was like, what do you want my rate? And they were like, what do you want us to pay you? And I was like, a hamburger? Like, I don't know. Like, I have a job. You know, I was just kind of doing another. So I felt like that I'd built up a reputation as being someone that was um, very good at what I do when I'm in front of a room and very helpful. And so I told my job in October of 2019, I said, so I'm leaving January 1st, 2020. And I was like, I'll give you this off ramp. And they're like, great. So January 2020 comes, you know, I'm doing all my, you know, marketing and I had a semester lined up because I think in semesters, because at that point I was really working in the college market. College and high school was my bread and butter. Had all these gigs lined up and I, I went to speak at Clemson and I was on the I was on the plane back home the night, the day after basketball shut down. And when basketball shut down, that was kind of the beginning of the shutdown. And I was sitting there thinking, this is not happening. Like I did not just take this enormous leap like our family couldn't be, couldn't, couldn't afford to be. I mean, I was like, what? And then within like two days, my calendar cleared and I panicked. I mean, like panicked. And I, all the old behavior started coming into my head. You know, I'll just, I'll just go get high or I, cause I just wanted to check out, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I also have a mental illness. So that was kicking in. I mean, there was a lot going on. And so I laid in bed for two days and I ate chocolate ice cream and I watched Grey's Anatomy and I felt sorry for myself. And then I got my ass out of bed and I started helping. And I created a program about what it looks like to deal with anxiety. And I just gave it away. I just called people and said, do you need help? And it's bizarro to me now that people thought 
that I was killing it. Like I didn't get paid for any of this. I didn't get paid for months. Um, I actually ended up getting a job at a big box store. I never thought I'd work at like a lumber store, but like I had to get a job uh, because at that point we had a two-year-old and, um, you know, we needed two incomes. But what's fascinating is that during that season of giving back, that's when like corporations started saying, hey, my friends would see it and they were like, can you come do this? And I was like, yeah, sure. And so I would zoom in and they'd be like, where have you been? And I was like, I don't know. I mean, I'm just really honest. But during that season of supporting others, I became an excellent virtual facilitator. So when everyone else started figuring out we had to do things virtually, I already had done. I had the studio lights and the sound and like the, like I had all the stuff. And so then my business just skyrocketed and corporations, high schools, colleges. I mean, there were times when I would do like three or four presentations a day. And then I had to figure out, okay, that's too much. <laughs> like I can't give that much of myself away. And so then the brand was born. Archie Cares was born and uh, the podcast started. And now I am, I'm really blessed. I'm blessed that people, you know, <laughs> I mean, the unfortunate part is the need for authentic and engaging mental health programming is going nowhere. So, you know, people still need this. And I am, I'm glad that now we're going to start to do in-person things again, because I can't wait to hug people. I'm like, come on, I'm going to give you a hug. Uh, but so that's how it happened. And here we are. And I'm, I'm blessed to be able to do it. Oh my God. Hold on. I talk about this literally almost every day. It's very simple. You have to give to get, and I've done countless one-offs on it. I mean, literally, and you just said, I want the listener to go back and listen. And you said, I lost everything, meaning my calendar, what I was going to do, right? Everything shut down. And okay. I laid in bed for a couple of days and FYI, everybody, that's okay too. <laughs> like, totally. Totally. Take, take your five minutes, 30 your feelings. Or 48 hours or whatever yep. it is, take it, yep. take it because there's a lot to be said there. Mindless television, right? Get my mind off of everything else. You didn't go to the, and then said, okay, let's figure out what we can do. And here's, again, it goes right along with, you got to give to get. So you gave away your first program for free. Nothing, just here. Do you need it? Here, take it here, right? And then all of a sudden you, things start to happen. And when you take action, when you actually do something, so you then had to get up, you had to write the program, you had to at least put, package it up in a way that people, you know, that they could consume it, yep. right? Here's my commodity. They got to be able to consume it. So you had to put it in some kind of format. That's taking action, right? You got to actually do things. And then guess what happened? Doors start to open that you never even knew that there was a door there, right? People yep. ask that question all the time. They're like, I don't know. I just kept going. And then people called me and asked me for this. And then somebody hit me up in my DMs and, and asked yep. me. And then next thing you know, because again, I don't know where the damn doors are. I yep. don't. Yep. But what I do know is every time I keep going, a fucking door opens. It's really weird how that happens. And it's so beautifully said. So you give it away. People obviously respond. Mm -hmm. And it buds into, because I'm in the same position, right? Some very similar in what happened. This was just a passion of mine. I was just like, oh, I was coaching these people and I was running offices and I was building real estate companies and real estate businesses. <laughs> and, and, and I was talking to all these people. And then I started getting people outside of the real estate industry to say, hey, you help my friend. I have this business. Can you help me? I'm like, it's a sales business. Yeah, absolutely. I can tell you exactly. Let's look at some metrics. Let's put things, you know what I mean? Yeah. And here's what I found. Every single one of them needed the same thing, which was mental training, mindset, belief training, that half of the problem was their belief system. Absolutely. <laughs> and so take us again through that process because yeah. you're giving it away and now they're yeah. opening it and now all of a sudden. Well, and, and I do just also want to say belief without action is bullshit. Yes. Like oh you can believe it all day long, but like, I'm just going to sit here and it's going to come to me. What? What? That's just not a thing. So I believed it. I believed that I could be helpful. I believed that I took this leap for a reason. And then I had to do something. Then I had to do some action. So to your point, I had to get out and I had to learn. So when I started this business, I assumed I was going to be the drug guy. I assumed I was going to be the guy that you were going to hire to talk about like addiction 
And yes, come on now. Come on now. I need to trademark that shit. Um, <laughs> um, you inspired me to bring out the very best. You know, I thought that that's what I was going to do, you know, and I still do. I mean, people still hire me to do that. But 90% of what I do now is in the mental wellness space. And it's because I did a, a shit ton of research and I figured out my secret sauce. There's nothing proprietary to mental wellness education. We're all teaching the same thing, but there are some boring ass people out there. And I was like, I'm not going to be boring. Like I'm going to. And what's amazing to me is that the very first time that a corporation reached out and said, hey, won't you do this? I literally was in my head going, so do I change myself? Do I do this differently or do I do the same thing? Do I do the same jokes? And so I made the decision. I'm going to show up 100% as me. Now, of course, okay, so maybe a TV show reference I changed to, you know, I, I may be doing like Dallas or something uh, because it's like these old people know what Dallas is. And I love me some Dallas, don't play. But like I was the exact same person. And what I hear from HR managers all the time is that you are so authentic that it's scary and that people just lean in. And so I counted one time, I did over 30 free programs, 30. 30. I did 30 free programs. And then one time somebody said, okay, we don't really have a budget, but we have 500 bucks. And I was like, hey, that's a car payment. So then I started thinking in car payments. I was like, okay, well, you know, maybe they'll just pay me this. Now, before then and today, I charge much more than $500 because I know that I'm well more than $500 worth well more than that. But at the time, when nobody had any money, I was like, okay, I'll do it. And so then the program's built. And then somebody said, hey, can you build this program? And I'm actually launching two new programs next week. And one of them is about mindfulness. Because I believe it's called flip the script on your disempowering beliefs. Because I realized that there is actually science to this hoo-hoo that I kept hearing. People are like, change your mind, change your life. And I was like, fuck you. Like, what does that even mean? Like, that's so silly. But then I realized I was doing it to myself. Like I was keeping myself down, you know? And so I was like, okay, let me find some science. And so now I'm, I, my secret sauce is that I can take this complex, like blah, blah, blah stuff and make it entertaining and interesting. And then people go, oh, okay, I can do that. And that brings me so much joy. Seeing people, seeing these accountants that are sitting there like, and then they get it. And I'm like, yeah, come on now. You got it, Mr. Accountant. So there's a lot of joy in our house these days. Man, I, you're blowing my mind. There's so many things that, I mean, again, I, I knew coming into this, we were going to align on so many levels, but I mean, it's literally like, it's unbelievable. One of the things that you said right there is, you know, you were creating this, People were, could they pay? Could they not pay? Like, you know what I mean? Again, where society was, where where yeah. we were as an economic, you know, yep. the economic impact that was happening to, to a lot of people, we know that they need this, right? And I have said this again a thousand times, even with my own producer, people that are that are part and they're like, hey, you need to charge this or you need to do this or you need to stop giving this much time to this, right? They, they've said this many, many times. And I know what they're saying, right? Because again, monetizing and making sure. and, and yep. your worth, right? Trust me, I don't, I understand my worth. I, don't, you, <laughs> yeah. you ain't got to, I'm the yep. last guy you got to worry about that. I've been yep. working on that shit for a long time, right? Like I know what I'm worth. But with that being said, the way I look at it, and maybe this is you too, just in different words, the way I look at it is in those moments when I know that I can help somebody and I know that they can't pay my rate yeah. and I still choose to do it. One is because you got to give to get, and I know there's going to be more to it. The other part is here's the selfish side, ladies and gentlemen, let me, t let me say it to you is I get to sharpen my ax. Mm -hmm. I get to get better by having that conversation or working through or doing that meeting, no matter what. The way I look at it is, Jeremy, go sharpen your ax. Mm -hmm. Go do it. Who cares? Mm -hmm. Right? I know my worth. You're, I'm not negotiating my rate. Right. Make no mistake. I don't negotiate. No, I am what I am. Now, in a situation where there's a person or there's a family, or there's something that I can help. And I know that. And I know that they simply cannot afford it. And especially in the, those times, these, especially the pandemic times and other things like that, there are some things, right? In the legal world, they call it pro bono, right? Is they're like, hey, I'm going to do it, you know, because, well, it's the same thing, but here's what we know is, ladies and gentlemen, where's that moment 
you're looking to get paid or you're looking to get it. Listen, you're going to get paid. If Be the best at what you do. And I promise the, those people will call yeah. and they will pay your rate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even when you think they won't. That's our own limiting belief, right, Arch? We, yeah. We're yeah. like, wait, you want to pay me? I mean, I've had that. I know, right? <laughs> they pay. I'm like, oh, sure. Okay. Sure. Okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but and like, and, and so much of what you said is so true. And I want people to hear this because I mean, I had a lot of speakers in the industry that were like, they got some salt because they were like, can you stop giving away these programs? We're trying to make money. And I was like, well, I'm trying to make money too, but ain't nobody got no money because everybody froze all the budgets. So you're sitting over there doing nothing. And like, to your point, I'm sharpening my axe. And here's the other T. You can't be bitching when I gave you a free program. Okay, if you don't like it, it's free. Like, what you going to do with it? So by the time people started paying again, like I said, I was good to go. Everybody else was still figuring it out. And they're figuring out with this added stress. If there's a con- There was no contracts. It was like, I'll show up at four o'clock and we'll do this program. And then I would always give them more because when the program was over, if we're talking about high school and college, man, I can't tell you the number of dudes who reached out to me who were like, I'm hurting a lot. And I was like, yeah, no shit, because you can't go to the gym. So you can't lift that feeling away anymore. You can't run that feeling away. These feelings have caught up with you. So what are we going to do? And there were several times when I worked with the campus to get like, we got to get this kid some help because we are at like danger zone. But like nobody else was having those conversations. And I was like, let's just have the conversation. Let's just do it. So if you're an entrepreneur, you know, if, if that's your world, you know, we're used to betting on ourselves. There's a difference in betting on yourself when there's there's nothing to bet on. Like there's no there's no money. Like there, I mean, like it was you know what we just experienced. I pray that that's the last time we experience it in our lifetime. You know, I pray. But like that's the true bet. <laughs> when like there's no bet. There's no bet. It's not even a gamble. You're like, well, I'll just do it. But you take action, and then you keep taking action, and then you you keep building on that action. I, this may be hard for you to believe, but I'm a shitty salesperson. It makes me so uncomfortable because I just want to help people because I feel like, not I feel like, I shouldn't be on this planet. I mean, the stuff that I took should have, I should not be here. You know, I overdosed. I woke up with, I woke up being intubated. I mean, like literally they did CPR to get me back. So like, I literally shouldn't be here. So I feel weird being like, well, this is how much it costs. <laughs> like, it with my largest deal, I literally had to like practice in the mirror. I had to like practice saying it because I was like, I cannot get these words out. And that's getting a little easier now because also now I look at my child and, you know, what I'm doing is to, yes, it's to save lives, but it's also to support my child. So, I mean, I know there was a lot there, sorry, but um, no. yeah, take action, keep taking action, believe in yourself and then take some more action. And when people tell you no, keep going because to your point, Really early on, somebody DM'd me. They saw me on Instagram and they sent me a DM. And they were like, hey, you know, I saw your stuff. This is amazing. This is exactly what we need. And I was like, oh, great. And so we talked and they were like, here's our budget. And I almost passed out. And I was like, okay, yeah, that'll work. And then when they ran me up the flagpole to the to other people, it was still too early in my business. I didn't have an Instagram following. I didn't have a podcast. I didn't have, you know, it was all very new. And they were like, we just need somebody more experienced. And that really stung because I knew that I could support and I wanted to like cave into myself. And I was like, that's one door. Let's just keep going. Let's just keep going. And then more doors opened. Man, there's so many people out there that even in their current situation need to hear that because I've told this story before and, and you could probably resonate with this is I had a kid that I was coaching in the real estate arena and he was like, Hey, I, I need to stop coaching, or I don't think you're going to want to coach me anymore because I'm moving to part time. Right. And I was like, Okay, first of all, what, what is part time? What does that even mean? Because I don't believe in the time component. Right. Like an eight hour workday is full time. So a four hour. So wait, if I can get all of mine done in two hours, shit, I'm not even part time. I don't even know what that means. Like I don't have a time is relative. Yeah. Like work is action is right. Like, and so, but his point was, good kid. He was a young kid, 24, got kicked out of the house when he was 18, was living on his own, you know, and, and barely making ends meet, trying, you know, it's a commission job, right? You yeah. only get paid if you yeah. get a closing. And so he's going to get a job. It was at Staples and in Staples. And so 
he said, you know, I'm going to have to, I'm working, I'm choosing nights so I can still do the real estate during the day. I can still make my calls. I can do whatever. And so I said, okay, that's wonderful. I'm proud of you, right? Because you're stepping up. You're not trying to live off somebody else. You're not trying to fake it. You're like, no, man, this is real. I like, that's all I love. I love authenticity. I love the realness. And I said, but it's under one condition and one condition only. And he said, you know, of course he's young kids. Like anything, man, you're going to keep coaching me anything. And I said, I don't give a shit what they ask you to do at Staples. If they ask you to sweep the floor, you'd be the best damn sweeper they have ever had in their life. There's no complaining. There's no putting your head down. There's no, why me? What about Joe? He's low. You know, you say, great, here we go. Where's the broom? Where's this? Let's go and do it the best that it's ever been done. If they ask you to stay late and stack computers at two in the morning, you figure out new ways that computers can be stacked. You invent new shit that they're like, wow, we never thought of that. Like, do it the best that it can be done. The best that you can possibly do. Because those jobs, if you're just going there to get a paycheck and you're just going to abide your time, hoping that real estate's going to take off, mm-hmm. it's not. Mm-hmm. Because how you are here is how you are everywhere. And if you're going to take your half-assed performance to Staples, you don't. there's no switch inside of us. You don't get to turn the switch on and go, oh, no, I'm going to be great. Yeah. No, it's not how it works. It's not how it works because in this business, you're going to get told no, you're going to lose deals. You're going to get the door slammed in your face. And guess what? That's the moment that I got to be switched on. The on switch happens in the little moments when they ask you to do the little thing. And when you say no, or when you whine or you complain, you're setting yourself up for failure and everything else. Yep. Yep. And I mean, everything that you're saying with how things have transpired for you, it's exactly that. It's like, no, nah, man, I just got to keep going. Okay. Thanks for your no. I know what I want to do. And it's more so, and I guess this is a question. Is it more so of who you want to be and what you want to bring to the world? Or is it truly the business, right? Like, cause once you understand who you are and once you step into that, right, I tell all my clients, right? Be unapologetically great because good enough isn't good enough. Isn't be unapologetically great because when you are, they call, right? But for you, I mean, looking, listening to you and and now understanding and following along with your success, it's really cool to hear the whole transformation because like, I see you today and hear you today. And I hear like you, like, I'm like, yeah, man, (laughs) like that's a man who knows who he is. And what he's bringing to the world. Is that what it is for you? Bringing this to the world? Not what I necessarily what I want to say. It's more about what they need to hear or what they want to hear. I think that in my case, I'm lucky and that the two are married. Mm, um, okay. And I, I really do believe that. I think that I really do believe that what makes me continues to make me so successful is that I am just not afraid to get vulnerable. I mean, in like the first two minutes of my, of my, or any presentation I give, you found out about the overdose, you find out about the intubation tube, you find out about the IV drugs, you find out that like, I got my dream. Like I moved to New York City and I got it. Now people can say that, like I got it. And then I was like, yeah, I'll stick a deal in my arm. And I think people are just like, whoa, <laughs> like what's, what's going on here, you know? And I've had people say, I mean, and I give people, I give people care warnings. I say, I'm just giving you, letting you know. I'm going to say the word suicide. I'm going to say the word drug addict. I'm going to say the word. I mean, I'll tell you before I start talking so that if you're like, ah, I can't do this, you know, you can, you know, take care of yourself. But people are like, I wasn't ready for that. But it's like, you know, how like you, you're like, you're climbing up. Like a lot of people's presentations, you are climbing up that roller coaster and you climbing, 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 climbing. I'm like, climb, climb, boom, like, let's go. And then we're just going. And then, and so I, I think, I think I am lucky in that, what people really yearn is honesty. There's so little of it. Vulnerability, there's so little of it. And then practical things they can do. That's the other thing that I find missing a lot of times. It's like, okay, this is all real cute. Like I feel, I feel better. I feel better about myself, but like, what do I do now? Like, I just feel better. And so I think I've married the like, you're going to feel better because you're going to be in the presence of somebody who's just being completely vulnerable but then you're going to know what to do. You're going to know some action steps that I believe will work. I tell people that I'm, I'm married, lived experience and research. Like I don't ever get up there and just, I believe that if I've been given a platform, 
it's my responsibility to not just be sharing my opinion all the time. And if it's just my opinion to say, P.S., this is my opinion. I believe it to be true, but this is my opinion. And I very rarely say that. It's like, this is my lived experience. Here's the research to back it up. So whichever one you need, take this thing and then go do it. Yeah, I love that. I'm, I'm the same way, man. I love it. I love it. So when you say action steps, people listening today, like what can they leave here with? They've been with us now for an hour. What action steps or what is something sure. that they can take away? So I'm gonna give you two things. One is in the mindset piece. And I'm sure you've said this before. I'm sure people have said this before, but let me say it again. We say things to ourselves we would never say to anyone else. Mm. And the problem is like the scientific problem your brain listens. There's this thing called the reticular activating system. Yes, and it yes. literally like when you tell it the piece of shit that you are, you're telling your brain to look for that. So I was having a conversation with a guy and, you know, someone that I, someone that I asked, like, you know, call me, I want to get better on this. You know, I didn't have, I still don't have a coach. I might need one. I don't know. But like, I didn't have a coach and I couldn't afford one at the time, but I was like, I need, I need some guidance. And he said, okay, you are really negative. And I was like, I was offended. I was like, what? <laughs> I mean, I was like, I'm, I'm a mental health coach. And he was like, yeah, but in our conversation tonight, you have said I'm drowning at work about four times. And he was like, unless you work at the swimming pool, you're not drowning. It's not possible. And so I realized in that moment, I was saying all sorts of things to myself that my brain was believing it. Like I'm literally, it is literally impossible for me to drown at work. When I say, I don't have enough time for that. Well, I got the same time I did yesterday. And I know that you know that too. So what I want to challenge you to do, because usually when people say, you know, watch the things you say to yourself, they're like, fuck my life. Like, okay, we all know that that we probably shouldn't say that one. Like, that's not helpful. But like, think about the things you say to yourself, like literally. And so when you find yourself saying it, just kind of stop yourself and go, no, Archie, my walls are blue, but I'm not drowning. So like, maybe I'm just going to prioritize this today. So that's number one. Number two. I firmly believe that if we change the way that we greet and interact with each other, we can save lives. If I were to come to you and I'd say, hey, Jeremy, how are you feeling today? You'd probably be like, mm, feeling. Um, because it's not something we say. We say, hey, what's up, bro? Hey, how you doing, man? Hey, how's it going? Hey, what's up? And say, so, good, man. How are you? Like, that is verbal diarrhea. That doesn't mean anything. It's just, it's just some shit that we say. And what we really mean is hi. We really just mean hi. So if you want to say hi, just say hi. But if you really want to get to know somebody, ask them, hey, man, how are you feeling? And they might go, what? Why? Why do you want to know? Or they might answer, you know, whatever it is. But what's the beauty is when somebody goes, really? And you're like, yeah. And then they actually just start talking. And you've given that person permission to just be. Now, I do it all the time. Like I'm in Starbucks and they're like, how can I take your order? I'm like, yeah, but first, how are you feeling today? And they're like, sir, can I take your order? <laughs> I'm like, you can, but how are you feeling? The other thing that you can do when someone says to you, hey, Jeremy, what's up? You're like, you know what? I am feeling excited. Like answer a feeling answer. Like give them the answer that they probably meant to ask to the question, but they didn't really ask it. Like model the way in all the ways. I guarantee you, if you do that for two or three days, your brain starts to think in feelings, which it should. So think about the things you say to yourself. And I call it the, how are you feeling challenge? Take it for two days. How are you feeling? And just see what responses people get. It's pretty fascinating. The things that you will hear back from people don't know how to reply because fine isn't a feeling. It's not a feeling. So we're on any feeling chart. We just all say it. So those are my two practical things. Yeah. I love it. I love it. You're, it's so funny you say that because I, I'm the guy that when they go, so, hey, how are you? I'm like, I am fucking fantastic every time, every, regardless, any day, everything. And they're like, wow, that was, oh. I'm like, yeah, that's right. That's right. Cause I am, you would, yeah, like, let's go. And even clients, right? They see me in the office now or wherever, right? Whatever we're doing. And I'm like, hey, how are you? And they try to give me that. I'm all right. I'm like, no, no, let's go. Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why just all right? Look at this. Like, why? Yeah. 
what are we talking about? Right. Yep. So I love it, man. I love it. Let's put it up there for him. The how are you feeling challenge? And I'm always that person and I'm the introspective. I'm the the man in the arena. I tell people all the time, I'm never going to ask you to do something that I wouldn't do myself. I'm never going to ask you to drink, eat, you know, move in any way, shape or form. I'm never going to, that if I haven't, that I won't do it. Never. That's not how I work. So at the same time, when I says like, how are you feeling? I would challenge people to do it to themselves. Ask yourself, yeah. like, how are you feeling? Yep. And be honest, right? Yep. Be honest with yourself. Like, cause again, I will say in, in so many moments where I'm like, I am fantastic. And then put a reason behind that. Why? Well, because I'm whatever, something simple because I'm breathing and I have a house and I have a beautiful, you know, whatever you can make a reason. You're like, hey, yeah, man, that's what that, that is a reason to be fantastic, you yeah. know? But if you feel like shit, ask yourself why you feel like shit. Cause again, that's another way yep. that we can, we can instantly change that state by being honest with ourselves and figuring out why. And I love what you said before about we're so quick to go and try to fix the symptom. Oh, you got a runny nose here. Take this. Take this. Yeah. What the hell is that? Wait, why do I have a runny nose? Why? Like, you know, whatever that, again, the feeling, you know, it's just this, this don't go to the symptom, go yeah. to the cause to figure well, out what the well, hell the problem is. And we're taught that from the early, like I realized early on when Cade was like, you know, one-ish, one and a half, two. And listen, that's a different age. I mean, they, they like cry, poop, sleep. But, sure. you know, once he began to like walk and like do this, if he started getting upset, I, I'm crying. I realized I was like, do you want a cookie? Do you want to watch Bluey? Do you want to? You know, and then I was like, wait a minute. Why don't I just love him? Let me just love this kid. And so now, I, I mean, it's, he kind of uses it against us now, but he's like, Papa, are you happy? And I'm like, no, I'm irritated. Oh, Papa, you're irritated. <laughs> but like this kid, he knows more feeling words than probably most grown men because we're just so, we just do feelings all the time. But you know, to my guys that are listening, like it's okay to be sad. Like that's, mm-hmm. that, that is the feeling you should feel. And if you want to see some power, if somebody asks you what's going on and you're sad to just say, I'm really sad today and it's okay. I don't necessarily want to talk about it. I'm just really sad. You have just, if a, if a young boy were to hear that, you've just given him permission forever to say how he really feels mm. because nobody's fine all the time. That's some bullshit. Yeah. So whatever feeling you're feeling, say that and then be okay with it because it's it's the feeling that you have. Well said. Well said. That's such great advice. I love it. I love it. All right. So we're going to, we're going to start to wrap it up and we'll see how long we go, but this is the section that I call quick hitters. Okay. And there's two words that I ask everybody how it hits them and, and how it affects them. And so I'm going to ask you, and I don't even have to tell you to be, be authentic and come from your gut. <laughs> it's already going to happen. So in quick hitters, the first word I want to ask you is impact. How do you want to leave it? Where does that hit you? When you think of that word, what comes to mind? Yep. There is a little boy somewhere in Oshkosh tonight that um, knows that he's gay. And knows that the world and feels like the world is against him. And I want to be that voice. I want him to see me on social media and be like, what the crap? Like I can be this and I can be happy and I can have a husband and I can have a child because I don't want him to end up thinking I shouldn't be here anymore because I'm a piece of shit. So my goal in life is to save his life. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. So beautiful. All right. The second word is discipline. How has that been in your life and how is it? Uh, well, it's a good thing you can only see my head because I've gained about 25 pounds in COVID and talking to this person that is ripped is like, huh, maybe I should use that gym membership. <laughs> it's funny the things in life that this one is easy for us. And um, I actually call it James instead of the gym because it just sounds kinder. Um, so I haven't seen James in a while. <laughs> So maybe, maybe I should go see James. Not really good at that. The gym is an intimidating place for me. Uh, Again, all these men and like me, it's ironic that a guy that knows that mental health and wellness is so important and mental health and physical health are so tied, but I'm like, oh, I'll get to that physical health thing later. Um, So that's what I think of is that like, I could be more disciplined in certain areas of my life. Other areas, I'm great. But some areas and talking to you is very intimidating uh, because I don't have that body below my head. And yeah, that's what I think of. Wow, that's that's awesome. I love what you said. So Optimal Self, one of our principles is move. And when I was building the principles and again, move, it's not called exercise is because, again, you look at me and it is like 
intimidating or different or whatever, right? Whatever, whatever you see is people like, well, I don't want to look like that. I don't want my bicep to look like that. I don't give a shit. You know what I mean? They're like, and I'm like, well, that's not the point because movement daily is more beneficial to your brain than it is to your body. Aesthetically, things can change for sure. But the reaction, the hormones, the things that happen within our brain through movement. So I love this conversation. Again, we're optimal self-conversations for this reason exactly is because I don't want people to, to believe that they have to go to a gym. I don't believe in that. It's something that I enjoy, but I mean, now I just built one at my house and, you know, I do it downstairs and I go down in my garage. It literally is called the dungeon. It's got the (laughs) optimal self stuff in there. And it's, I got a sauna. I built a sauna in there and it's, it's wonderful. Right. And, and I kick my own ass. I do. But I'm going to tell you the days that I don't feel like it, man, I grab my coffee or my, I have my water first and I grab my coffee and I just go for a walk. And I do. And people are like, wait, you? No way. You got to be slinging barbells and big dumbbells. And I said, no, yes, I enjoy that. But I, what I enjoy more is the mindset that I get, the how I feel. So if I just go for a couple laps around my block, which has a few hills in it, like my heart rate's going to change, right? And those things happen. So I want people even listening today, right, to understand is that you are going to be intimidated. There are going to be things that that challenge you, not just James. James isn't the only one that's going to be intimidating. It's there's other people that are like that are like me that love the gym, yeah. and there's other aspects of their life that they're not dealing with, right? Yeah. That are intimidating, so they're not disciplined there. So I hope people understand is that everything is in some form. If you're disciplined somewhere, you can be disciplined everywhere. And if you're undisciplined somewhere, you can be undisciplined everywhere. So challenge yourself to find that thing that if James is intimidating the shit out of you, will grab Kane, grab a <laughs> hubby, and go yeah. for a damn walk, yeah. right? Put him in that wagon, and here we go, buddy. Let's do this, right? And guess what? The fresh air and the sunshine is going to do you good as well. There's there's some benefit to all that. And it's going to be, you know, my mental health guy knows that, hey, we can add this to yep. it, right? So, man, I am just filled with gratitude right now, man. I truly am. Like, very rarely that I do one of these and feel it there. Like, I love the conversation, but I love getting people out there. But Archie, what you're bringing to the world, man, is needed your story. I'm just grateful for you sharing it with our audience today, with me. And I hope that we can stay on the same path and and stay yeah. in the same circle, man. You're you're definitely an inspiration and and I love what you're doing, man. And I just want to say thank you. Listen, I I do I do a lot of these as I'm sure you do. And not every time do I leave like pumped up and I'm pumped up. Let's go. Let's go. Um, yeah, it was it was an honor. And um, you know, I hope someone out there listening, not a hope, I believe that someone out there listening heard something that can be helpful to them. And um, yeah, let's let's stay on this path together, my friend. Yeah, man. You've definitely left an impact on me. And I know that kid in Oshkosh is gonna hear this. And and I hope that uh yeah, again save a life just in the conversation. So thanks, Arch. We'll be in touch, man. And uh, for everybody else, until next time, get out there and be the best version of you. Subscribe to Optimal Self wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. For more information on how to be the best version of you, visit OptimalSelf.today and follow at OptimalSelf1 on Facebook at Optimal underscore Self on Instagram and subscribe to Optimal Self on YouTube. Thank you for listening.